Chapter sixty eight, sixty nine, and seventy of Ruth Hall by Fanny Fern. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter sixty eight. A letter for Floyd, said Mr. Lescombe, smiling. Another lover, I suppose. Ah, when you get to be my age, continued the old man, stroking his silver hair, you will treat their communications with more attention. As he finished his remark, He held the letter up playfully for a moment, and then tossed it into Ruth's lap. Ruth thrust it unread into her apron pocket. She was thinking of her book, and many other things of far more interest to her than lovers, if lover the writer were. After correcting the proof of her articles for the next week's paper, and looking over a few exchanges, she asked for, and received, the wages due her for the last articles published, and went home. Ruth was wearied out. Her walk home tired her more than usual. Climbing to her room, she sat down without removing her bonnet, and leaning her head upon her hand, tried to look hopefully into the future. She was soon disturbed by Nettie, who, exploring her mother's pockets, and finding the letter, exclaimed, pointing to the three-cent stamp, "'May I have this pretty picture, Mama?" Ruth drew forth the letter, opened the envelope, cut out the stamp for Nettie, who soon suspended it around her doll's neck for a medal, and then read the epistle, which ran as follows. To Floy, Madame, I have long wished to communicate with you, long wished to know who you are. Since the appearance of your first article, I have watched your course with deep interest, and have witnessed your success with the most unfeigned pleasure. My reasons for wishing to make your acquaintance at this particular juncture are partly business and partly friendly reasons, as you will see by a copy of the Household Messenger, which I herewith send to you. I am its editor. I know something about the prices paid contributors for their periodical press, and have often wondered whether you are receiving anything like such a remuneration as your genius and practical newspaperal talent entitle you to. I have also often wished to write you on the subject, and tell you what I think is your market value, to speak in business phrase as a writer, so that in case you are not receiving a just compensation as things go, you might know it and act accordingly. In meditating upon the subject, it has occurred to me that I might benefit you and myself at the same time, and in a perfectly legitimate manner, by engaging you to write solely for my paper. I have made a calculation as to what I can afford to give, or rather what I will give you, for writing one article a week for me, the article to be on any subject and of any length you please. Such an arrangement would, of course, give you time to take more pains with your writing, and also afford you such leisure for relaxation as every writer needs. Now, what I wish you to do is this. I want you first to inform me what you get for writing for the Standard and the Pilgrim, and if I find that I can afford to give you more, I will make you an offer. If I cannot give you more, I will not trouble you further on that subject, as I seek your benefit more than my own. In case you should accept any offer which I should find it proper to make, it would be necessary for you to tell me your real name. As I should wish for a written contract, in order to prevent any possibility of a misunderstanding. In conclusion, I beg that you will permit me to say that whether or not arrangements are made for you to write for me, I shall be most happy to serve you in any way in my power. 
I have some experience in literary matters, which I will gladly place at your disposal. In short, madam, I feel a warm brotherly interest in your welfare, as well as a high admiration for your genius, and it will afford me much pleasure to aid you, whenever my services can be made profitable. Very truly yours, John Walters. Ruth sat with the letter in her hand. The time had been where not a doubt would have risen in her mind as to the sincerity of the writer. But, alas, adversity is so rough a teacher, every laying the cold finger of caution on the warm heart of trust. Ruth sighed and tossed the letter on the table, half ashamed of herself for her cowardice, and wishing that she could have faith in the writer. Then she picked up the letter again. She examined the handwriting. It was bold and manly. She thought it would be treating it too shabbily to throw it aside among the lovesick trash she was in the habit of receiving. She would read it again. The tone was respectful. That won her. The household manager, John Walter. She certainly had heard those names before. The letter stated that a copy of the paper had been sent her, but she had not yet received it. She recollected now that she had seen the household manager among the exchanges at the Standard office, and remembered that she always liked its appearance, and admired its editorials. They were fearless and honest, and always on the side of the weak, and on the side of truth. Ruth also had an indistinct remembrance of having heard Mr. Walter spoken of by somebody, at some time, as a most energetic young man, who had wrung success from an unwilling world, and fought his way single-handed from obscurity to an honorable position in society against what would have been to many overwhelming odds. Hence the reason, thought Ruth, his heart so readily vibrates to the chord of sorrow which I have struck. His experienced heart has detected in my writings the flutterings and desolation of his own. Ruth wanted to believe in Mr. Walter. She glanced at his letter again with increased interest and attention. It seemed too frank and kind, but then it was bold and exacting, too. The writer wished to know how much she received from the Pilgrim and Standard, and what her real name was. Would it be prudent to entrust so much to an entire stranger? and the very first time he asked, too. Even granting he was actuated by the best of motives, would he not think if she told him all, without requiring some further guarantee on his part, that her confidence was too easily won? Would he not think her too indiscreet to be entrusted with his confidence? Would he not be apt to believe that she had not even sufficient discretion on which to base a business arrangement? And then, if his letter had been dictated by idle curiosity only, how unfortunate such an expose of her affairs might be. So she could not do it. But then, if Mr. Walter were honest, if he really felt such a brotherly interest in her, how sweet it would be to have him for a brother, a real warm-hearted brotherly brother, such as she had never known. Ruth took upon her pen to write to Mr. Walter, but as quickly laid it down. "'Oh, I cannot,' she said. "'No, not to a stranger.' Then again she seized her pen, and with a quick flush and a warm tear, said, half pettishly, half mournfully, "'Away with these ungenerous doubts! Am I never again to put faith in human nature?' Ruth answered Mr. Walter's letter. 
she answered it frankly and unreservedly. She stated what wages she was then receiving. She told him her name. As she went on, she felt a peace to which she had long been a stranger. She often paused to wipe the tears, tears of happiness, from her eyes. It was so sweet to believe in somebody once more. She wrote a long letter, a sweet sisterly letter, pouring out her long pent-up feelings, as though Mr. Walter had indeed been her brother, who, having been away ever since before Harry's death, had just returned, and, consequently, had known nothing about her cruel sufferings. After she had sealed and superscribed the letter, she became excessively frightened at what she had done, and thought she never could send it to Mr. Walter. But another perusal of his letter reassured her. She rose to go to the post-office, and then became conscious that she had not removed her bonnet and shawl, but had sat all this while in walking costume. Well, she said, laughing, this is rather blue-stocking-y. However, it is all the better, as I am now ready for my walk. Ruth carried her letter to the post-office, dropping it into the letter-box with more hopeful feelings than Noah probably experienced when he sent forth the dove from the ark for the third time. End of chapter 68 Chapter 69 Mr. Walter sat in his office, looking over the morning mail. "'I wonder if this is from Floy,' he said, as he examined a compact little package. It bears the right postmark, and the handwriting is a lady's. A splendid hand it is, too. There's character in that hand. I suppose tis Floy's. Mr. Walter broke the seal, and glancing at a few sentences, turned to the signature. Yes, it is Floy. Now for a revelation. He then commenced perusing the letter with the most intense interest. After reading the first page, his eye began to flash, and his lip to quiver. "'Poor girl! Poor girl! Heartless creatures! Too bad! Too bad!' and other exclamations, rather too warm for publication. Finishing the letter and refolding it, he paced the room with a short, quick step, indicative of deep interest and determined purpose. "'It is too bad!' he exclaimed. "'Shameful! The whole of it! And how hard she has worked! And what a pitiful sum those fellows pay her! It is contemptible!' She has about made the standard. It never was heard of to any extent before she commenced writing for it. It is perfectly outrageous. She shall not write for them another day if I can help it. I will make her an offer at once. She will accept it, and then those Jews will be brought back to their senses. <laughs> I know them. They will want to get her back. They will write to me about it, or at least Lescom will. That will give me a chance at him, and if I don't tell him a few truths in plain English, my name is not John Walter. Then sitting himself at his desk, Mr. Walter wrote the following letter to Floy. Dear Sister Ruth, if you will permit me to be so brotherly, I have received, read, and digested your letter. How it has affected me I will not now tell you. I wish to say, however, that on reading that portion of it which relates to the compensation you are now receiving, my indignation exhausted the dictionary. Why, you poor dear little genius! What you write for those two papers is worth, to the proprietors, ten times what they pay you. 
but I will not bore you with compliments. I wish to engage you to write for the household messenger, and here is my offer. You to write one article a week, length, matter, and manner to your own fancy. I pay to you such and such. The engagement to continue one year, during which time you are not to write for any other periodical without my consent. My reason for placing a limitation to our engagement is that you may be able to take advantage at this time of better offers, which you will undoubtedly have. I enclose duplicates of a contract which, if the terms suit, you will please sign and return one copy by the next mail. The other copy you will keep. Unless you accept my offer by return of mail, it will be withdrawn. You may think this exacting. I will explain it in my next to your satisfaction. Most truly your friend, John Walter. This letter being dispatched, thanks to the post office department, arrived promptly at its destination the next morning. Ruth sat with Mr. Walter's letter in her hand, thinking, If you do not accept my offer by return of mail, it will be withdrawn. How exacting! The explanation of this is to be given in my next letter. Ah, Mr. John Walter, I shall not have to wait till then, soliloquized Ruth. I can jump at your reason. You think I shall mention it to Mr. Lescombe, and that then he will interfere, and offer something by way of an equivalent to tempt me to reject it. That's it, Mr. John Walter. This bumping round the world has at least sharpened my wits. And Ruth sat beating a tattoo with the toe of her slipper on the carpet, and looking very profound and wise. Then she took up the contract and examined it. It was brief, plain, and easily understood, even by a woman, as the men say. It is a good offer, said Ruth. He is in earnest, so am I. It's a bargain. Ruth signed the document. End of chapter 69. Chapter 70. "'Good afternoon, Floy,' said Mr. Lescombe to Ruth, as she entered the Standard office, the day after she had signed the contract with Mr. Walter. "'I was just thinking of you, and wishing for an opportunity to have a little private chat. Your articles are not as long as they used to be. You must be more liberal.' "'I was not aware,' replied Ruth, "'that my articles had grown any shorter. However, with me, an article is an article.' some of my shorter pieces being the most valuable I have written. If you would like more matter, Mr. Lescombe, I wonder you have not offered me more pay. There it is, said Mr. Lescombe, smiling. Women are never satisfied. The more they get, the more grasping they become. I have always paid you more than you could get anywhere else. Perhaps so, replied Ruth. I believe I have never troubled you with complaints, but I have looked at my children sometimes, and thought that I must try somehow to get more, and I have sometimes thought that if my articles, as you have told me, were constantly bringing you new subscribers, friendship, if not justice, would induce you to raise my salary. Friendship has nothing to do with business, replied Mr. Lescombe. A bargain is a bargain. The law of supply and demand regulates prices in all cases. In literature, at present, the supply greatly exceeds the demand. 
"'Consequently, the prices are low. "'Of course, I have to regulate my arrangements "'according to my own interests, "'and not according to the interests of others. "'You, of course, must regulate your arrangements "'according to your interests, "'and if anybody else will give you more than I do, "'you are at liberty to take it. "'As I said before, business is one thing, "'friendship is another. "'Each is good in its way, but they are quite distinct.' As Mr. Lescombe finished this business-like and logical speech, he looked smilingly at Ruth, with an air which might be called one of the tyrannical benevolence, as if he would say, "'Well, now, I'd like to know what you can find to say to that.' "'I am glad,' replied Ruth, "'that you think so, for I have already acted in accordance with your sentiments. I have had, and accepted, an offer of a better salary than you pay me.' My object in calling this afternoon was to inform you of this, and to say that I shall not be able to write any more for the standard. Mr. Lescombe looked astonished, and gazed at Ruth without speaking, probably because he did not know exactly what to say. He had argued Ruth's case so well, while he supposed he was arguing his own, that nothing more could be said. Mr. Lescombe, in reality, valued Ruth's services more than those of all his other contributors combined, and the loss of them was a bitter thing to him. And then, what would his subscribers say? The reason of Ruth's leaving might become known. It would not sound well to have it said that she quit writing for him because he did not, or could not, or would not pay her as much as others. Just then it occurred to him that engaging to write for another journal did not necessarily preclude the possibility of her continuing to write for the standard. Catching eagerly at the idea, he said, "'Well, Floy, I am really glad that you have been so fortunate. Of course I wish you to make as much as you can, and should be glad, did my circumstances admit, to give you a salary equal to what you can command elsewhere.' but as I cannot give you more than I have been paying, I am glad somebody else will. Still, I see no reason why you should stop writing for the standard. Your articles will be just as valuable to me as though you had made no new engagement. I am sorry to disappoint you, Mr. Lescombe, replied Ruth, but I cannot meet your wishes in this respect, as the contract I have signed will not permit me to write for any paper but the household messenger. At this announcement, Mr. Lescombe's veil of good nature was rent in twain. The household messenger? Ah, it's John Walter, then, who has found you out. I don't wish to boast, but I must say that I think you have made but a poor exchange. The whole thing is very unfortunate for you. I was just making arrangements to club with two other editors, and offer you a handsome yearly salary for writing exclusively for our three papers. But, of course, that arrangement is knocked in the head now. It seems to me that you might have made an exception in favor of the standard. I have no doubt that Mr. Walter would have consented to let you write for it, as it was the first paper for which you ever wrote. He would probably do so now, if you would ask him. He is an editor, and would understand the matter at once. He would see that I had more than ordinary claims upon you. What do you say to writing him on the subject? I have no objection to doing so, replied Ruth, if you think it will avail anything. 
though if I succeed in getting Mr. Walter's permission to write for you, I suppose Mr. Tibbets of the Pilgrim will wish me to do the same for him when he returns. I called at the Pilgrim office this morning, and his partner, Mr. Elder, said that he was out of town and would not be home for several days, and that he would be greatly incensed when he heard I was going to leave, as I was getting very popular with his subscribers. Mr. Elder was very sorry himself, but he treated me courteously. By the way, Mr. Lescombe, I think you had better write to Mr. Walter as well as myself. You understand such matters, and can probably write more to the point than I can. Very well, said Mr. Lescombe. I will write to him at once, and you had better write now by the same mail, and have the letters both enclosed in one envelope. Ruth took a seat at the editorial table, and wrote to Mr. Walter. The letters were sent at once to the post office, so as to catch the afternoon mail, and Ruth took her leave, promising to call on the morning of the second day after, to see Mr. Walter's reply, which, judging by his usual promptness, would arrive by that time. End of chapter 70